thank you to Babbel and Miracle Maid for sponsoring this episode. What Came Next is intended for mature audiences only. Episodes discuss topics that can be triggering, such as emotional, physical, and sexual violence, animal abuse, suicide, and murder. I am not a therapist, nor am I a doctor. If you're in need of support, please visit somethingwaswrong.com forward slash resources for a list of nonprofit organizations that can help. Opinions expressed by my guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of myself or Broken Cycle Media. Resources and source material are linked in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. Stacey McBride-Cox is a mother, sister, educator, and former lawyer. Her faith and fortitude were deeply tested in 1995 after the abduction and murder of her beloved sister, Tracy. Since then, the McBride family's efforts for awareness have been seen on Good Morning America, Inside Edition, the 1990s, The Deadliest Decade, and more. Stacy's poise, power, and perspective amidst all that came next for her family is truly unrivaled and a testament to the role model she had in her big sister, Tracy. The Broken Cycle Media team is extremely grateful that Stacy was willing to share her nearly 30-year journey of heartache and healing with us today. Hello, my name is Stacy McBride-Cox. I am the sister of Tracy Joy McBride, whom we'll be discussing today. I am now 45 years old. I'm a mom and homeschool educator of four children and have really been able to use the incident of 1995 to serve as a catalyst to speak into other lives through the ministries that I run at church and through the life coaching business that I run professionally, and even the years that I practice as an attorney. I had a strong desire and inclination before Tracy died of being in the legal world. I saw myself as a judge someday, and then the incident with Tracy happened, which rocked my world so much of what and who I have become have been a direct correlation to what happened to my sister 29 years ago. From life lost so young, it really taught me the importance of living fully and purposefully. I feel so blessed to have had the upbringing that I had, the family that I am still blessed with. Tracy, who's three years older than me, myself, and then my younger brother, Jimmy, who's three years younger. We grew up in a small town of Centerville. At that time, it might have been a thousand people. So a very rural, suburban town where most everybody knows everybody and where you really could make an impact on the people around you. Our family is well invested in our church community. We really were blessed to have a community around us that enveloped the importance of raising up children as a community. 
and it not just being something that happens within the home, which I think is so important to the well-rounded development of a person, certainly came to be something that developed me and my sister. Tracy was a vibrant young woman who was so invested in everything that she did and put her mind to. I, of course, was the little sister who looked up to her immensely. I know she appreciated me, but in those early teen years, I am quite certain I was a little bit of an annoyance in her eyes, but never to the point where I didn't know the value of myself in her life. She really paved the way for being excellent in school. She was somebody who never missed a day of school all 13 years, which is something that I followed as well. She is somebody who made a mark with every teacher she interacted with. She was a cheerleader as well. And she made her mark there with little things of making homemade cookies week in and week out after every basketball game, after every soccer game. She really was somebody who invested so well in the community by being involved in service projects, going into nursing homes. Tracy was very, very musical. She was one who was continually picking up and trying out new instruments with a can-do spirit. Nothing is going to stop her. And that's something that really resonated with me growing up. It's amazing to me as I think back to all that she accomplished. And she was only 19 and a half when she died. But there was so much life that she lived well that completely shaped the woman that I ultimately became. I'm so, so thankful for the gift of the 16 years I got to share with her. Tracy had a fascination with the military beginning about midway through her high school years. It was the Marines that she actually initially pursued. She liked to work hard. She liked a challenge. And when the recruiter came in for the Marines and presented what that opportunity could entail for her, it was incredibly appealing to her. The unfortunate thing for Tracy is that she, being a cheerleader, had knee issues. And so after going through some of their physical examinations, she realized that the Marines would not take her. So that dream of going into the military initially left, which left me as younger sister, quite thrilled, to be honest with you. I just, at that age, couldn't bear the thought of seeing my sister leave. During her senior year of high school, a recruiter came in. He spoke into Tracy's life and presented another opportunity for her to go into the Army. At that point, she did not need parental permission to be able to go in. This was right after she turned 18. It was a mere one week before she would leave for boot camp. We had to prepare to say goodbye to her. That was really hard. I wasn't expecting it. My family wasn't expecting it. We come from a very supportive household. So of course, nobody was going to squelch her dreams. But boy, we were sure shocked and sat at this very last minute decision. So when she left, we had a beautiful goodbye party for her. There were tears, of course, but we were so excited because in just six weeks, we'd see her again. That boot camp experience was quite arduous, but she handled it so well, despite her knee injury and not being the fastest runner, her attitude really set her apart. Being somebody who never, ever gave up 
she ended up winning the Soldier of the Cycle Award, which is a very esteemed award. So she left her mark on boot camp. We were so proud to be down there in South Carolina to support her at her boot camp graduation, seeing her fatigues and then her dress blues and representing herself, our family, our country with such pride, knowing that she was going to make a mark on the United States of America. From there, we had the privilege of taking her home with us for less than two weeks. We soaked up that time together. It was just a precious time in the summer where we got to be sisters again. We got to share a room and delight in the company of one another. And it was such a special time. But of course, all good times come to an end. She was going to be stationed at the next place where she'd get advanced intelligence training over in Monterey, California, where she would prepare herself to do the job that she was assigned in the military. During that time, she met some incredible friends, including the man who would become her fiance and really started to carve out what would be the next stages of her future. She was only nine months into her military career, but she transferred to a relatively remote town in Texas of San Angelo to Goodfellow Air Force Base. That's when she had to say goodbye to her fiance and the great friends that she had made there. The last time I got to talk with her on the phone was Valentine's Day. February 14th, 1995, she called home. It wasn't a particularly great day for me, so I was extra thankful to have the opportunity to talk with my sister and have her remind me again how much she loved me. To have it spoken a mere four days before her life would be forever changed and our lives would be forever changed was certainly a very special moment. She had been on that base for nine days. It was a very, very short time of her being at Goodfellow Air Force Base. What was interesting is she was assigned to be under the authority of Sandra Lane, who would become her drill sergeant, who happened to share a resemblance to her. I only bring that up because later on in the case, that would be something that would suggest why this random abduction would happen. During that time, she became acquainted with a few people at the base who were there serving alongside of her. But during that time, obviously, she didn't have enough time to make any enemies. February 18th, 1995, Tracy was stationed in the laundry room. The laundry room had had some recent break-ins, and so they had asked for somebody to be stationed in there for certain periods of time to just make sure everything was guarded and safe. Adjacent to the laundry room was a game room where there were at least two other men in that area. At the end of her shift, she was on a payphone in a phone conversation with her best friend from back home. A man approached her from behind and asked her to get off the phone. And she was like, excuse me, I'm on the phone right now. You're going to need to wait. He persisted and ultimately put a gun to her and covered her mouth. She, of course, was screaming for help and he began to drag her out of the building. When Tracy was being dragged out of the building, these two men did everything they could to rescue her. It was dark outside. His car was running, but there was a trash receptacle area right around the building. 
that was enclosed. So when he came out of the building, knowing that there was two guys closely following, he hid in that trash receptacle area. The other army servicemen, one went one way, the other went towards them. As the other one got around the building and out of sight, Lewis Jones knocked him out, allowing him to get Tracy into the vehicle and speed off. The passenger side front seat was reclined back with towels over it to make sure evidence was not left on the seat. And the weapons that he would ultimately use were in a bag behind the seat. So he was very calculated in preparing to abduct somebody. And unfortunately, that happened to be my sister. Lewis Jones sped off of the base to bring Tracy to his house. He had towels laid down in such a manner to make sure any of the fibers that she would bring in wouldn't transfer into the carpet. Initially, he locked her in a closet for a number of hours. There was another person that even came into the household. And after that person left, Lewis Jones took my sister to his bedroom where he raped her, then asked her to clean herself with hydrogen peroxide to remove any evidence. He then told her he was going to bring her back to the base. Now, Lewis Jones was a bus driver on the base and he was a retired army ranger. That's how he got access to this secure base. The base was only five minutes away. She was in the front seat, reclined back, but this time a towel was laid over the top of her. She was very much alive at this point and so could process through those realities after 20 minutes pass. I'm not going back to the base. That was actually something that was really hard for me, imagining her in those painful and terrifying moments when somebody had just violated your body to the core. Now you have no idea what's about to happen to you. And the sheer and utter terror of those hours spent in the closet, how torturous that had to be. And that final drive where eventually he would bring her to her death, getting out of the vehicle, he grabbed from that bag in his back seat a tire iron where he would knock her unconscious. Then he took her body out down into this deep ravine under a bridge, very remote and secluded place where he would continue to beat her to death and leave her in her fatigue. So she was also well camouflaged with what she was wearing. The opportunity to find her would indeed be very, very difficult. That next morning, we got the first call that she had been abducted. We didn't know at that time that she had actually been murdered. My mom said, Tracy has been abducted, and our world just tipped upside down. We were thrust into what really felt like the unfolding of a television series. Thank you, Babel, for sponsoring this episode. Did you know that one in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list? If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off with Babbel. Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works, is your opportunity to avoid high costs for private tutors and wasted hours on apps that don't really help. 
Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I've been taking Italian lessons for a couple weeks now, and I find the Babbel app super easy to navigate and highly engaging. The lessons truly fly by and prepare you for real-life conversations. If you're serious about speaking another language, Babbel is the perfect place for useful language skills, along with opportunities to learn the context, traditions, and culture the language you're learning is grounded in. I've been practicing some of my lessons with friends who are fluent in Italian, and they're already impressed with everything I've learned. Plus, it's been fun to stretch my chops ordering food at my favorite ristorante. I'm already feeling infinitely more confident about taking my dream trip to Italy and having to navigate conversations. And if I ever do find myself struggling, Babbel has this really great tool called Speech Recognition Technology that helps me with my pronunciation and my accent. That's why I'm super excited to share a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription only for listeners at babbel.com slash WCN. That's 55% off at babbel.com slash WCN, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash WCN. Rules and restrictions may apply. Try Babbel today. We had no idea what would unfold. What we did know is we needed to gather our family. We need to gather our extended support. Our family's up in Minnesota. This is happening down in Texas. My brother and I are the younger siblings still at home. He's 13, I'm 16. My parents are ready to jump on an airplane to get down to Texas as soon as they can. Both my brother and I were left at home with family and friends watching over us. The church and our community rallied around our family. Our church was holding vigils. Our community started a yellow ribbon campaign. We were surrounded with support. The media in that front half was really helpful in sharing the story. One of the news stations were ultimately the ones that flew my parents down to Texas so that they could be as close to the action as possible and be able to speak with the authorities to give them the best picture of who Tracy was, they could use, hopefully, in helping to solve this mystery. They also flew my sister's best friend, whom she was on the phone with, having her undergo hypnosis and other questioning to try to figure out if they could get any more details from what happened. Statistics tell us that after a certain amount of time, that 24 to 48 hour mark, the likelihood of finding somebody alive after abduction goes down exponentially. We were fighting between intense worry and incredible hope. It just was this roller coaster ride that our entire family was on. It was so encouraging at times because they would come out with a new sketch of the suspect that would give them more ideas of where to go. And that gave us hope. During that week and a half to two weeks, as they were continually searching for Tracy, was so difficult. I can't even begin to express the agony involved with trying to carry out a normal day while my parents were down in Texas. My brother and I, we did our best to maintain normal life going to school and being surrounded by people. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, two days prior to my sister's abduction, 
Lewis Jones had raped his ex-wife, Sandra Lane, at gunpoint. She didn't turn him in. She was afraid. She had been a frequent victim of domestic abuse. Sandra Lane had a conversation with somebody about my sister's abduction. And she said, boy, that sounds like something my ex-husband would do. At that point, she felt compelled to go in to the station to have a conversation with the authorities about the possibility that he could have been the one involved with Tracy's abduction. They had looked for my sister for two weeks. They had not found her. Sandra Lane coming in and sharing with them about what Lewis Jones had done to her was ultimately the catalyst that would change the direction of this story. They brought him in and into the wee hours of the night. Their questioning continued and continued until they brought the chaplain in. And the chaplain had a conversation with Lewis Jones that ended with something like, for the McBrides, if you are involved with this, will you please confess this? He did indeed confess. And in the middle of the night, brought the authorities to my sister's body into that remote location. The night before that confession would come in, my mom called home. And within that conversation, my mom had said, I'll know if they come in dress uniform and there's a line of them that it's not going to be good news. And so just as my mom suggested would happen, that early morning knock at the door, she looks out and sees a line of military professionals in their dress uniform and would open the door to ultimately learn that Tracy's life had been taken. She had been murdered. My sister would never return home again. One major mistake that the media made was that the day they found my sister, the media was told that they could not make it public that she had been murdered until my brother and I and the rest of my family had been notified. My pastor was the one who was going to come to our house to notify us. He knew that our lives were going to be changed forever, so he wanted us to be able to sleep in. Well, my brother that morning had gotten up to watch cartoons. There was a breaking news in the middle of cartoons that showed the picture of my sister's body being taken out from the ditch where she was. That's how my brother found out. My aunt came down to notify me and my pastor was there right after. It was the most surreal experience one could ever imagine. Life, as you know it, is entirely different. I cried myself to sleep every night, not knowing how I could possibly go on without my sister. I was the repeat everything sister. I did everything she did. So all of a sudden, this relatively shy young woman was left without a role model, left without any guidance. I had to learn to figure this out on myself, and I really didn't know how. Though I would smile because she did that well and I knew how to do that, it was a facade. I was not truly happy, and the true emotions would come out when I was in the car by myself or in my bed at night. Those weeks following, there is so much happening between preparing to celebrate a life lived well and having that publicized across the state even getting national news at that point, being thrust into the media spotlight, but then also beginning this intense legal journey. You have no idea just how arduous that journey would become, how much 
stress and agony that portion of the journey would be as you're answering questions you would never even think that you'd have to answer to make sure the best representation of your family is out there and that nothing can be skewed. We were so blessed to have an amazing federal prosecutor on our side, Tanya Pierce, who is one of our dearest friends. We are still in contact with her. She has been a life changer for us. It was about 10 months before that trial would take place. I'm only 17 as we're going into the beginning stages of the very first round of trials. I am involved to a much lesser extent in the legal system because I'm a kid. My parents wanted to protect us as much as possible, but I watched them walk through it. It was another level of torture. My mom is a rock beyond measure. People often wonder, how on earth were we able to survive it? And a lot of it came from the strength of my mom. My dad, on the other hand, absolutely fell apart. Any dad, knowing what happened to his daughter, would have a similar reaction. His life really took a different pathway. My parents remained married, which was amazing, but it was very, very challenging for years, even decades. That legal process is so difficult for the families. You're continually having to face and reface every part of that case, every part of what happened. And then you get to the trial where you have a defense there. And of course, the defense is trying to do their job and they're trying to minimize. And that's really hard for a family knowing that their loved one did nothing wrong and that they would try to taint a person or even make him look better based on his decorated military background. That was a very frustrating experience for my parents because then you would hear all the things unfold, all the gory details of what he did to her to the point where it made my parents sick. They had to physically leave the courtroom because you just couldn't hear it. There were pictures. You couldn't see those things. Going into that courtroom day in and day out, having no idea what was going to happen, but fighting for justice and knowing we had the best prosecutor possible, working on our side, who had gotten to know Tracy through us as best as she could to present her in a way that honored her and presented the case in a way that would leave none of those jurors questioning what the outcome should be, guilty versus not guilty verdict, which is the first phase of the trial. And of course, that guilty verdict did come down, which gave us tremendous relief. The first phase of the trial was a week. So for a federal high-level case, that was a pretty quick verdict in just one week. But then from there, you go into the second phase of the trial, which is the much harder one in different respects. The second one determines the sentencing. And here we are looking at life in prison versus capital punishment, the death penalty. Now, a law had been passed coming into 1995 that abduction kidnapping resulting in murder would be punishable by execution and it would warrant a federal level offense rather than a state level offense. Additionally, of course, it was a military case. So those two factors are what brought this into the federal court system 
rather than the state court system. Texas is a state that does have the death penalty. So in either instances, it could have been a situation punishable by death. In that next stage of the trial is when the attorneys would present the case, capital punishment, and in the defense's viewpoint, life imprisonment or less. That was a very tough situation. There's so many thoughts I have related to the death penalty. This was a very extreme situation with a high level of premeditation. Heinous acts were done against an individual. He had a history of criminal behaviors towards other people. But ultimately, that is the state's decision. The prosecutor, because their interest is not just doing justice for our family, but protecting the citizens at large. So that decision was made to go for the death penalty, and Tanya Pierce fought hard for it. My mom wrestled with that reality of the death penalty because she knew how much pain that losing Tracy caused our family. And so she was looking at it from a very motherly perspective. If this man was sentenced to death, there was a mother out there that would have to experience that pain. The jury did find that what Lewis Jones did to my sister warranted the death penalty. But what people don't understand is for years and years, the legal process continues to go on 8, 10, 15, sometimes even 20 years. And that is a cruel reality for families to walk through, especially after you get out of the first stage. You think you know what's going to happen next, but you don't. Time and time again, these appeals come up. Every time it happens, you're notified. There's somebody asking you questions. There's the media coming at you once again, wanting the insight over and over. You're faced with that reality of, is some judge or appellate court going to see the evidence differently and allow this person to be let off? Having to go through that multiple times kept our family in a continued state of limbo. That's something that people don't recognize is happening behind the scenes. It's month in and month out of having revisited conversations with the attorney, with the authorities, seeing what's happening in the appellate court. Ultimately, we were successful in each of those appellate court cases where eventually it did reach that Supreme Court. This is the clemency appeal where the final arguments can be made to the Supreme Court of the United States, which would go before President George Bush. Now, eight years have passed. We have fast forwarded to 2003. I have gone through my entire law school education. It's February. The execution is set for March of 2003. But now the defense and anybody who opposes the death penalty is coming at not just the legal system hard, but they actually start to come at the family hard because they start to look at it like we're responsible that this man's going to be put to death. So the media can start to look at the criminal in a different light. And that became very frustrating as well. I remember the day after my bar exam, my mom and I were flown out to New York to be on Good Morning America and Inside Edition. We're making our case, but to not feel like you had the same level of support from the nation at large as you did in the beginning. Everybody is behind the victim and their family in the beginning. But then eight years later, 
that is some of the realities that we started to face in that final month. Thank you to Miracle Made for sponsoring this episode. Did you know that traditional bedsheets can harbor more bacteria than a toilet seat? It can lead to acne, allergies, and stuffy noses, and it's just gross. Miracle Made offers a whole line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding, such as sheets, pillowcases, and comforters that prevent 99% of bacteria and require three times less laundry. Using silver-infused fabrics inspired by NASA, Miracle-Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long, so you get better sleep every night. I absolutely love my Miracle-Made sheets. They're smooth, luxurious, and comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands. Sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com WCN to try Miracle-Made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo WCN at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle Made is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you will get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash WCN and use the code WCN to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash WCN to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. The night before the execution would happen, having no idea if it would happen, because President Bush was looking at that clemency appeal and it was late that night that the decision finally came in that indeed President Bush denied that clemency appeal and that execution would go on the next morning. And that next morning was one of the most surreal experiences of my life. All witnesses to this execution, the media witnesses, the legal witnesses, our family witnesses, his family witnesses. Everybody has to arrive at a different time. The legal team, they technically have a separate area, but our prosecutor chose to stay with us because she became so connected with our family. Ultimately, we would be brought to this space. Lewis Jones was brought in. He can't see us, but we can see him. And listening to them, ask him if he had any final words. He did have a few final words never addressing us as a family, which that would have been an appropriate time to apologize, but that did not happen. Instead, he sang a hymn and it was done. I will never forget being escorted out of that room, feeling like justice had been served, but the heaviness, the reality of it still didn't bring our Tracy back. And at this point, I'm 25 years old and have become the spokesperson for our family, being well ingrained in the legal world and being comfortable in front of the public, presenting my sister's life, my sister's case. But this just felt different. At that moment, I'm reacting to watching another life being taken and then having criticism come as well. Wrestling with all of that just felt so different 
we did have the reality that from then on, the real healing journey would begin because now nothing could change. Nothing could be reopened. The legal world effectually shut the doors to that part of our life and allowed our family to make the next step forward. But the reality was I was not healed still. And I got to the point of just recognizing that our family was experiencing more hurt, more turmoil, and that anger that I had towards Lewis Jones was now affecting my relationship with my dad and my brother. And it got to the point where I just felt enough is enough. My mom modeled it so well, my dad modeled the opposite. A life of anger got him absolutely nowhere. And there was a moment where I just chose with every ounce of my being to forgive the man that murdered my sister. Since that day, I have harbored no anger, no bitterness. When I think of him, after decades, when now you're raising a family of your own, when you have faced other tremendous losses, it starts to look different. Our perspective changes from the narrow perspective we might have had as a 16-year-old to what it now looks like as a 45-year-old with so much wisdom. And I'm not saying I've reached that final destination. I'm just saying I've learned a lot over the years. I have experienced forgiveness. People have forgiven me and have given me grace. I just want to be somebody who projects grace and forgiveness. And that to me was the catalyst for everything. It was also the thing that led me to this place of how do I really feel about the death penalty? I wrestle with it. There's this part of me where that grace just overtakes and part of me isn't sure about it. Thinking back to 29 years ago to now and every life experience in between, how do we resonate with this case after decades when now you're raising a family of your own? When you have faced other tremendous losses, it starts to look different. What really carried you through those eight years, but also the heaviest portions of your journey? Gold Star Families is a nationwide program that supports military families who have lost a loved one. The Gold Star Family communities envelop those families, and that has been so fantastic. We have been at retreats with other Gold Star family members. I have been very thankful over the years for that group because it is a source of hope and healing for families. We became involved with that really when most of our healing had been done. Honestly, our greatest support came from the reality that we had such a tight community. Immersing myself in a community that I could give back to really beginning to understand and appreciate the reality of how quickly life can change, all of a sudden things become so clear. And the greatest recommendation I have, especially if you don't have a tight nuclear family, is what is the community or the group that you do feel strongly connected with? For me, it was our faith community. That was entirely the catalyst to our healing. I am so thankful for that. I would not be the woman I am today without the faith that carried me through. And my faith wavered. I will tell you, in those early years, it absolutely wavered. But my mom's faith never wavered. 
it was her faith that allowed my own faith to strengthen and for me to be able to press on and give back and to love on people and to seek other hurting people that I could share my story with. That ultimately was a huge part of my healing journey. I would say if they can find a way to honor the memory of their loved one, that goes a long way. It shifts our attention from what happened to what can I do now? That was the what's next for us. How do we go on honoring Tracy's life, healing, fully healing ourselves to take her life and gain every bit of strength and light, all the things she represented and bring that forward. Our family began the Tracy Joy McBride Scholarship Fund. It's been about 20 years ago now, and we've had the opportunity to support so many women and families and military veterans. It's been just an honor and privilege to remember Tracy that way and change, hopefully, thousands and thousands of lives, not just through the dollars that we've been able to raise in support of these families, over $100,000 we've been able to give out over the years of our nonprofit, but through the hope that our family has had by surviving something that many families would say is not survivable. If you're interested in learning more about what we do or supporting our organization, you can find more details at www.tjmscholarshipfund.org. I really commend you for continuing your mission and in sharing and honoring your sister. What is the most difficult part of that sharing and what compels you to continue sharing? That's such an interesting question because one would think that it is difficult, but it isn't. And I think the reason why it's not is because my journey, our journey, has led us to a place of complete healing. Everything we do is motivated by a desire to bring hope to somebody else. Knowing that we went through the worst, most heinous experience a family could possibly experience, yet come out of it fully healed allows me to feel like we can give hope to families, whether they're at the front of their journey or they're 10 or 15 years in. Even after it feels like your heart has been ripped out, we can still find joy. We can still find peace because we have a choice in that. I really, really appreciate everything that you've shared today, Stacy, and everything that you continue to do in honor of Tracy and in honor of bettering society and this world. Thank you. I know you said it's not hard nowadays with all the healing that's taken place and all the work that you've done, but it still costs energy. So thank you very much for giving me your energy. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate that. I think anything that we can do to shine light on the ones we love, but ultimately cast hope and vision for the future for those who are around us now is amazing. So I commend you for your work as well. I love what you're doing and I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you again to Babbel and Miracle Made for sponsoring this episode. Remember to visit babbel.com slash WCN to get 55% off your Babbel subscription. That's Babbel, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L, dot com slash WCN. 
Rules and restrictions may apply. And don't forget to upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash WCN and use the code WCN to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash WCN. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Next week on What Came Next. We are taking a break from our regularly scheduled Survivor interviews to do a little Q&A episode. If you have any questions about what came next for the Broken Cycle Media team, be sure to visit whatcamenext underscore podcast on Instagram and send your questions our way. What Came Next is a Broken Cycle Media production co-produced by Amy B. Chesler and Tiffany Reese. If you'd like to help support What Came Next, you can leave us a positive review, support our sponsors, or follow Broken Cycle Media on Instagram at Broken Cycle Media. Check out the episode notes for sources, resources, and to follow our guests. Thank you again for listening.